Well, good afternoon. This is Jennifer Scheich with Ask Aces, and today our topic is From Toys to Tools, Robotic Vehicles and Agriculture. We're pleased today to have Dr. Garish Chowdhury in the Department of Agricultural and Biological Engineering and Dennis Bowman from University of Illinois Extension. Once used as toys, unmanned robotic vehicles are quickly becoming a valuable tool for agriculturalists. Both unmanned aerial vehicles, commonly known as drones, and unmanned ground vehicles, or small agricultural robots, are capturing the attention of hobbyists and agribusinesses alike. So today we're going to chat a little bit about how these tools are being used and what the future application of these might be in our operations. So to begin with, Garish, could you tell us a little bit about the difference between UAS and UAV? Yes, sure. So a UAV, or an unmanned aerial vehicle, refers to a aircraft that does not have a person inside. It could be flown by an operator using remote control, um, or it could just be a, um, an aircraft that glides or, or floats like a balloon. Uh, an unmanned aerial system, on the other hand, is the combination of the aircraft, a communication interface, an operator, the operator's graphical user interface, and any other support systems that are required to make sure that the unmanned aircraft can operate and do something useful. So the term UAS uh, was made popular around the early 2000s since UAVs or aircraft that don't have people inside have been used for a long time, but UAS really became more feasible and practical in the early 2000s as computers became smaller and more powerful. So let's talk about this from an agricultural standpoint, Dennis. What are some of the advantages of a UAS in ag? Well, we we say UAS, but a lot of times we just have kind of shortened that up and just used the term drones because that generally is becoming commonly accepted and everybody knows what you're talking about. In agriculture, um, the way we're looking at using drones uh, comes back to me to some of my early uh, time in agriculture. Before I got into extension many years ago, I spent two summers as a commercial crop scout for a, a crop consulting company. And I walked a lot of acres and saw a lot of different things. And early in the season, you can see those fields easily. You can cover a lot of acres on the ground and see what's going on. But at this time of the year, when the corn's up over your head and the soybeans are waist high, then it gets hard to get out and see what's going on throughout the entire field. And when I first started hearing about drones uh, being available in agriculture and the technology getting to this point, this opportunity to get this big picture from the air, to be able to see what's going on on the far end of a 120-acre field um, that's not easily visible by the road, um, so that you could do a better job of seeing all the things that might be going on in a field, uh, not just what's easily visible. So I think that's this ability to get the big picture, to get this on-demand, remote-sense Uh, Aerial imagery um, gives us a perspective on our crop that we haven't had the opportunity to see in the past. Um, And the value of that is one of the things that uh, um, we're trying to decide how we can put a a dollar value on that. And sometimes we can see things that are going on and others, uh, you know, we we need to do more analysis and and get farther along in the technology uh, to be able to interpret some of this information better. So how are farmers using these tools on their farms? As I mentioned, we're we're taking these aerial images. We can see what's going on. Um, We can see uh, areas of the field that are showing up with problems. Um, and 
we can use our information about the field to kind of get an idea of what some of those problems might be. Uh, nitrogen deficiencies showing up, uh, weed problems, uh, how extensive they are. Uh, some of the impacts of drainage issues in a field are all showing up in these, these aerial images. Um, documenting uh, things that happen during this, the year. Um, looking at uh, giving us a kind of a historical perspective of the crop development through the season with repeated UAV flights uh, something is something that we can add to our uh, data set as we're looking at trying to document uh, some of what's going on. The insurance industry has a lot of interest in using drones in agriculture, uh, looking at hail damage and wind damage to crops to help them settle their claims and analyze uh, how big of an area is being affected by some of these problems. So there's a, a lot of interest in this technology. So just to add to that, um, general farmers are also interested in putting uh, more revealing sensors on, on their drones. Uh, so more recently, these near-IR sensors are being used, and farmers can use that to create uh, indices such as NDVI, uh, which tells them which areas of their farm are more stressed compared to the others. And the workflow typically is that the farmer uh, flies the drone or, or hires someone to, to, to fly the drone on their, on their farm. And this is fairly automated. Then the data is uh, uploaded to a cloud service, uh, which then uh, creates uh, stitched images and uh, indices and sends these back to the farmers. So what types of drones are available on the market right now and how much do they cost? There's a, a two main types of drones that are available. Those are the multi-rotor type, the little helicopters with uh, four, six, eight different uh, sets of motors on them. Um, and we've got the larger uh, fixed-wing uh, airplane-style drones. The helicopter, the multi-rotor-type drones, uh, take a lot of energy to keep them up in the air. Um, so it's, we've got these battery, these lithium polymer batteries that can store up a lot of energy and and uh, release it in a in a really rapid fashion to keep these things in the air. But because we just have the rotors keeping this up uh, in the air, they go through their energy really fast, and so the flight times with the multi-rotors are generally lower um, than the fixed wing because with the fixed wing you've got the uh, aerodynamics of the wing that's helping provide lift, and so you often get uh, longer flight times with the fixed wing uh, devices. Handiness-wise, uh, there's some trade-offs between the different styles. The fixed wings tend to have a, a longer flight time and possibly larger payload weight, so they can take a bigger camera or different multiple cameras up at the same time. Uh, but they do have to land somewhat like an airplane, so you need a, uh, a nice soft area for them to land on on the edge of your field or wherever you're flying. Uh, the multi-rotors you can pop out of your trunk or the back of your pickup, fly them up, uh, collect your data, and come, come back um, and land them in, in a small area without uh, much risk. Uh, Cost-wise, uh, for a, an, a drone that works well and has uh, an adequate uh, basic uh, camera on it and, and good uh, stability control and GPS, um, generally would cost you about $500 for a bottom-end drone. Um, then you get up to about uh, $1,500 for a, a more of a full-scale drone um, that has uh, full-size, has uh, a good uh, sensor already on it, could be possibly be modified to do uh, near-infrared. That's one of those areas uh, that where a lot of the, the cost goes into these that people don't think about is the cost of the sensor itself. The drone is, is getting it in the air, but uh, 
you can spend a lot of money on a payload. Uh, a GoPro camera on some of the low-end drones costs about $300 for a lightweight, high-quality little camera that can uh, take a lot of punishment. Whereas uh, we're trying to get up to uh, looking at the multispectral cameras that can take those uh, images for NDVI analysis. Those uh, cost quite a bit more. You can do a modified camera that swaps out the lens that's uh, of uh, a little kind of debatable on the quality of those. But uh, you can probably get those for 500 to to $1,000, whereas then you go to a true multispectral uh, camera, and the low end of those that I've seen right now is about $3,500 and on up to uh, uh, $10,000 or way up, if, especially if you want to go possibly thermal. Uh, thermal, infrared, uh, very expensive cameras, but there's also interest in those, especially in areas where they irrigate, um, using those thermal cameras to sense the, any stress in the crop and determining uh, how much to irrigate. So wide range, um, there are some uh, uh, survey grade drones that run uh, up around forty to fifty thousand um, dollars. So there's there's a big range, but around fifteen hundred dollars is where most people kind of end up. So let's talk a little bit about regulation. Are drones subject to regulations, and what type are they under? So drones themselves are subject to regulations, um, and these regulations are rapidly evolving. As of now, drones under fifty pounds can be flown for commercial or pleasure purposes after someone gets a license called remote pilot in command license. And actually, if you're flying them just for uh, pleasure, um, not for business, uh, you don't even need a license. And until yesterday, FAA had you register those drones, but now uh, it has been ruled that FAA no longer requires registration of drones for personal use. For commercial use, you must still register your drone with the FAA and the person flying the drone or operating the drone uh, must go and take this uh, exam that gives them this remote pilot in command license. This exam is basically similar to a um, groundman types of uh, type of an exam. They basically teaches you the basic rules of operating aircraft. What are different airspaces? How do you uh, enter and exit different airspaces and how do you enter and exit airports and regulations relating to flying drones? Very roughly, the regulations are such. You must have the drone always in line of sight. The drone must weigh less than 50 pounds. It cannot fly over 400 feet above the ground. Uh, these are the three main regulations that uh, that you have to do. There's also some nuisances like you cannot fly uh, in the night, you cannot fly when the cloud cover is very low, and you cannot fly when there are things such as uh, warnings by the FAA uh, about not flying. Currently, you can also not uh, fly drone from a moving vehicle, and you're also not allowed to fly drones on large bodies of people, for example, at a stadium without uh, prior approval. But I think this, this landscape is rapidly evolving, uh, and, and we'll see what happens to it as we go forward. Dennis, should we be concerned about possible privacy violations because of neighbors' drones? You know, you can't uh, control everybody's actions. With any technology, there's the potential for some kind of abuse. Um, but with drones... Um, there are states that have made regulations that you uh, can't photograph somebody else's property without their prior permission, uh, but Illinois doesn't have a law like that currently. Uh, most people are surprised to realize that they actually don't control the airspace over uh, their homes and their their yards. Um, the FAA controls that airspace um, 
up above um, tree heights, basically. Um, so the highest thing that's in your yard, uh, your TV antenna or any uh, uh, poles or those kind of things, kind of is the uh, edge of your airspace. And there are lots of things flying around above it from uh, uh, airplanes, um, emergency helicopters, um, satellites. Um, so there's a lot of stuff up there. The FAA has some guidelines for just good neighbor policies, and that's uh, kind of where we're at for, for most of the things with uh, privacy concerns. One of the things you have to realize is that uh, anything up in the air above your property is protected by the FAA. Um, and so there's been a few cases in the, in the media where folks have tried to shoot down drones that were flying over their property. Um, they may have uh, just been transiting the area, but doing that is, is probably uh, something that can get you into, into trouble. So, Garish, what kind of improvements or changes can we expect to see in drones in the future? So I think just in terms of the drone hardware, I think we will get lower-cost drones uh, as uh, it's more and more commoditized with several players emerging from, especially abroad, uh, manufacturing these drones. We can expect to see an increase in endurance from the hardware, endurance in terms of how long these things can stay in the air. It's already gone up to 30 minutes and most likely will go go up as battery technology keeps on improving. Onboard processing will also improve, enabling drones to do more processing on board, not having to go to the cloud. But I think the real game changer here is going to be when drones start working with autonomous ground equipment, uh, small robots that can go under the canopy. Because drones are really useful when the canopy closes because you can't walk in that canopy. Uh, But unfortunately, a lot of the times the problems, by the time they're visible in the canopy, it's often too late. Uh, so ground robots that, get, that are small enough that, that can drive between the rows and go under the canopy can provide a different perspective on what's going on and can potentially work in tandem with the drones to more quickly and more accurately find the problems and their causes. So I think ground robots helping the drones in monitoring is certainly one frontier. The next frontier is uh, ground robots and drones working together to do something more actionable, such as weeding or fertilizing um, or even sampling from the plants. And then there's also the other frontier that's not really directly related to growers but affects their productivity, and that's the breeders. So breeders could use ground robots and drones in tandem to improve the breeding process, and that would lead to better seed which would eventually lead to better productivity. Well, it's hard not to get excited about the future um, of this technology and what it may do for us in agriculture. Um, A quick question for you, Garish, before we finish. What opportunities do you think are out there for students who may have an interest in this area? And how did you get here to where you're at today in the College of Aces? That, that's, a, that's a very uh, excellent question. So, uh, so I am by training a roboticist, so I work uh, on robots. And all of my degrees are actually in aerospace engineering. So I started working in drones in 2003. And for most of my academic career before I got to the uh, University of Illinois in 2016, I focused on defense and energy applications for drones. But I had this deep interest in agriculture because in, in many ways, agriculture not only has several open problems and several inefficiencies that need to be addressed, but could also be the cradle of autonomy because uh, the regulations are such that they allow um, innovation, which is not always the case in some of the other fields. Uh, so, so to me, um, basically, I transferred to the College of ACES and the Agriculture and Biological Engineering 
from my faculty position as a professor of mechanical and aerospace engineering because I feel that being in the agricultural community is very important to understand and address problems uh, at their root. For students, I think it's a very exciting time for agriculture. It is a time when agricultural education is bringing together biology and with environment science and with technology. So we're already seeing programs such as uh, CS Plus, which combines crop science and computer science. And, and of course, ag and bioengineering now offers courses on robotics and autonomy, and we work very closely with uh, electrical engineering and aerospace engineering and mechanical engineering on campus. I think the future of uh, robotics, at least, is, is, is certainly multidisciplinary. So any students who are interested um, in working in applicational robotics, currently agricultural robotics is a very attractive place to be. Well, thank you so much, Dennis and Garish, for joining us today. I know you guys are busy and have a lot going on this summer, but we really appreciate you joining us for Ask Aces, and thank you to our listeners for joining us for Ask Aces podcast today. We look forward to visiting with you again in a month. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.